0: Your brethren why are you laughing at me <laughs> I got a good introduction didn't I I cannot express enough the privilege and the honor that it is for me who like Psalm 113 says was taken out of the downhill of the third world and here I come to speak to the princes of the people of Abraham. I'm deeply thankful for that honor, that privilege, and I bring you greetings. You really have brethren in extreme places, brethren, from the biggest city in the world, Mexico City, from the highest capital in the world, La Paz, Bolivia, we have 100, about 120 members in, in Mexico. We have one in La Paz. Bolivia is about 14,000 feet high. It's the highest capital in the world. And I bring you greetings from the highest city in the world, in Peru. 14,350 feet high. You have 35 brethren in those altitudes, and they asked me to bring you their love. And I bring you greetings also from the second southernmost city in the world. It's called Rio Grande, in Tierra del Fuego, in the land of the penguins, in Antarctica. And I strive to visit all these brethren in all those latitudes at least once a year, and it's a tremendous privilege. A great blessing. And they love you and they love this work. And they have zeal for this work. But today, brethren, I would like to address a subject that is very, utmost important in the heart of our beloved presiding evangelist. I know it's worth it to speak of this, but I think it's of tremendous importance It is the subject of living faith. We can speak of faith, but you know very well, brethren, That living faith has a definition that you all know very well. And I want to read it with you. It's in several parts here in the book of James. And I'm thankful for that book more than Martin Luther was. (laughs) You know very well. He called it the epistle of straw. And we can call it the epistle of the rock because we are going to see why, without living faith, we will not have our Christian life based and firmly anchored on the rock. So we'll see, as we go here in chapter in chapter 2 of the book of James, we want to go there with me, my dear brethren. I told the... Uh, members, I mean the minister of the conference, I didn't know what brief was because I have a problem with time. You can tell that's a problem of the third world. And I'm trying to put this watch here so I don't have to be timed by our dear presiding evangelist. He had to do it four years ago when I was standing here before you. I lost track of time, and I hope I won't. I I hope I have learned my lesson. So, now... Let's go to chapter 2 of the book of James, and it says, my brethren, verse 1, my brethren, do not hold the, let me see, I have to make sure I read in the right place, yes, chapter 2 and verse 14 of the book of James. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? This clarification is crucial for us, brethren, because, you know, this is mostly the most twisted scripture or concept in the teaching of the Apostle Paul. They don't make a difference between works not justifying us, which is absolutely true. Only the blood of Christ will forgive our sins. But once that blood has been shed, it were being cleansed, it were made a fertile ground for the seed of the word of God, we have to produce fruit. And that fruit is shown in works. So, works don't come before justification, but they are the proof. Once we're being justified, there is something alive there, which is the Spirit of God. So, that's a simple concept, but it's the most confusing for the preachers out there in the world, my dear brethren. So, here, let's read a few scriptures here in 2.14. On the book of James, and he says, We just read it faith, but if you have faith but you don't have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. I think that's pretty clear, brethren. In the very last verse, he repeats as a conclusion in verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, Jesus Christ made quite a serious statement for us, my brethren. We can take it in two ways. In chapter 18 of the book of Luke, in verse 8, I know you all remember this. I know you all know what I'm going to teach to you today, which I will not be teaching, about the word of God. But we need to be reminded of these things, often. Because we're living in the very time that Christ describes here. In chapter 18 of the book of Luke, in verse 8, It says, in the middle of the verse, Christ makes this statement. Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, middle of the verse. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So these are very serious statements. First, faith without works is dead, and Christ was wondering if he would find faith at his return. We can take these two ways. It's a warning that there will be very little of it, but it's also a challenge that we can take to heart. And we can answer our master to his question, yes, you will find it. Because you will be living in our hearts. Because we love you. And we want to follow your example by works that back up Our belief. That's our challenge for us today. And we know, to complete the picture here, how serious this is, my brethren. If you go to chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. You all know this. But it's very clear what it says in chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible To please him. This is pretty dramatic brethren. Without faith. It is impossible. To please him. So God might not be very pleased with. Many of his children today. Because he warns us. There is little faith. At the end. But we are going to take this challenge to heart brethren. And we will see some inspiring examples. In a moment. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. In other words, God has to be real to us, brethren. More than matter. Because he is the the one who created matter. Matter will have its days numbered and it will disappear. Or the spirit world will stay forever. So if that reality is not utmost in our hearts and minds, brethren, we will shake with this world. We will perish with it. He must believe that God, that He is, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know, little faith is not enough for God. He rebuked his disciples lovingly. We can see the scripture now, if you please, brethren, in chapter 17 of the book of Matthew. And here we start going to the very core of this matter. Why is it little faith today? He gives us a formula here, and we should take it to heart. It came from our master, our elder brother, our God, our high priest. You remember very well when he came down from that mountain after the transfiguration, and the disciples were not able to cast a demon. And they did ask him a question. In chapter 17 and verse 19, Matthew 17 and verse 19, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, and frankly, I prefer other translations which you will see in your margin, your little faith, that tells us that faith by itself will not save us if we don't have fruit. The tree that does not have fruit will be cut off. Is like knowledge when it is not applied. There are parallels here. In chapter 4, the book of Deuteronomy, God says, I give you statutes, I give you laws, I give you judgments. Put them to work. That will be your wisdom. When those things stay at the level of knowledge, they are just knowledge. They are not wisdom. When we believe in God, and we know there is a high supreme being sitting on the throne of the universe. But we do not practice what he tells us to practice. That faith is dead. So, once again, let's read what Christ answered to them in chapter Matthew 17, verse 20. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, which you see your margin, your little faith. is not enough to have faith. Little faith. God demands more than little faith, my brethren. For as surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now let's look at the formula. This is an equation, this is a spiritual equation, a formula that he's given to us. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Very simple formula. What does that mean? If we want to pass from the level of having little faith to having the faith of Christ in us, we need to practice regularly fasting and prayer. The formula is very simple. If we don't do it, we will not grow in faith. If you know about fasting and you don't practice it, it will not benefit you. If we know about prayer and we don't do it daily, morning and evening, and even following the examples of those that are called beloved of God, King David and Daniel, they did it three times a day. And God was real To them. We're going to see a few inspiring examples. And we also know that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's the nourishment. If we fast and pray, and we nourish our hearts and our minds with the word of God, faith comes by hearing. You remember that in Romans 10. I will not go there. We cause by reading too. So we need four things to increase our faith. We have heard this always, brethren. Are we doing it? That's the question. We need to fast and pray. Christ gave us that formula. We need to meditate in God's law, which you know when you eat that word, The meditation is kind of the digestion that comes automatically when we are filled with the word of God. So we need prayer and fasting, meditation, prayer, fasting, meditation, and uh, Bible study. At that level, faith still dead unless we put it to work, which is number five. We need those four things. To increase it, but to make it part of us and make it alive, we need to put it to work. We might fast a lot and pray a lot and meditate a lot and study a lot, but if it's not put to work, it will still be dead. We need five things, brethren. If we are going to increase the faith in us, and it is going to become alive. There are very inspiring examples, brethren, and I will ask you to come to the book of Daniel, and uh, I won't have time to cover all the inspiring examples of faith that are in this book, but I will exhort you to make a personal study and look at the lessons of faith. In the book of Daniel. He was was called beloved of God. We'll do a little bit of reading today. Because I think God's word introduces the subject better than I can do. And we can go to chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. And start reading there. And we'll see some examples that will help us to understand. What is it? What is living faith? We can learn a lot about history. In this book, we can learn a lot about prophecy. It's a foundational book for prophecy. We can learn a lot of things, but if we focus on the aspect of faith, we can also learn a lot from this book, my dear brethren. Daniel is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I just... And I'm sure many of you too, I just love this man. I look forward to hug him. (laughs) a spirit being, I think he will take it very well. I'm going to look for Daniel very quickly. I know many of you want to look for David. I will too. this man inspires me very much. He lived uh, over 70 years in Babylon. And he was found blameless. In the sight of God. What a powerful. Example. He never compromised. His his beliefs and his convictions. In the midst of Babylon. He's an example for the young people. When he was taken to Babylon. According to all the research and scholars and traditions of the Jews. And commentaries and Josephus. This young man and his friends were probably between 15 and 17 years old. There is an inspiration for the young people. It can be done. And it's an inspiration. I always have to warn you, there's a Latin talking to you. Bear with me, I will make it. I will make it I'm glad Dr. Merida happens to him From time to time too So So And for the old people At the end of 70 years of service To the kings About 4 kings of Babylon he served to He started serving Cyrus and Darius He was over 80 years old And he was found Blameless What an example. Now let's look at this, and let's read here, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, with some of the oracles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the oracles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king, I could say a lot about this, but we're going to focus on this aspect of faith today. It would be a marvelous thing to do a whole Bible study of this whole book. I think it's worth it, brethren, to go from chapter 1 to chapter 12. There's a lot there in many ways. So that's Something to really think about. And let's continue here in verse 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So we know well that Daniel was a descendant of King David. Young men in whom there is no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick, understand, quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language of, and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. They wanted to nationalise them practically, help them to forget their origins and become Babylonians in a way. Verse six Now from among these of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Sha- Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Now, let's read verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine. Which he drank. Now, let's look at this, brethren. Here is this young man in the palace of the most feared men in the world at that time. And I prove to you from Daniel's own mouth how he describes how feared this man was, so we understand certain aspects of what living faith means. And that's important. You see, you, it's interesting. You focus on this. He made a decision before he examined the circumstances or the consequences. Let's look at it. Daniel himself, in a, you know, when the writing of the wall took place in chapter 5, he described to Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, how his father was. And let's read here. In chapter five, verse eighteen of the same book of Daniel, five eighteen. Let's look at this, and it says here O King. He was called, you know, Daniel was called because the mother of Belshazzar told him, There is a man that can interpret that writing on the wall. There is someone in town that can do it. O King, most high, God Verse 18, O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. You you see, Daniel never lost track who was above Nebuchadnezzar. He had power because his God had given him power. That's what was in Daniel's mind and heart. Important, brethren, for us. We'll see why. And because of the majesty that he gave him... All peoples, nations, and languages trembled. You know, Jehoiakim was afraid. Jeremiah says that, and Daniel was in the court in Jerusalem. They were afraid of, Jer- of Nebuchadnezzar. He says they feared, trembled, and feared before him. Whomever, whomever he wished, he executed. Just by his wish, he didn't have to consult any parliament. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. On top of that power, he had a temper. And you have read the book of Daniel. We'll see a little bit of it in a moment. And on top of that temper, he was a cruel man. And now this young man, let's say 70 years old... He's bringing us a prisoner. He's in the house of that king, the most feared man on the face of the earth in his own house. Did he look at the circumstances to see if they were favorable for him to obey God? No. He purposed in his heart was the first thing he did. He didn't look at circumstances to see if it was possible to obey God. He decided, "I will obey my God." That's living faith. And then he looked at the circumstances to see what God would bring to him. We've seen too much of these brethren in the last decades. People looking at circumstances to see if it's favorable to obey God, and then they make a decision. You are doomed for failure if you have that approach. You first think, if God is real to us because we're fasting and praying regularly and studying his word, we will not be deceived by the surrounding circumstances. Daniel, this young man, 70 years old, his God was much more real than this man who was ordering him to eat unclean food. And he decided he was going to obey his God. And let him take care of the consequences. Whatever they were. He knew he was risking his life. Are we ready for that? That's the big question for us. When we need to obey God and be faithful in what is little. Do we examine if circumstances are favorable to obey God? Or we make a decision and act accordingly. That's called living faith, but by works and obedience. That's a powerful statement right there. It came to me recently, the word of God. It's an amazing thing, brethren. You always will learn from it. For me, that was crucial. Some of us, brethren, and I was guilty of, of that at the beginning, at least for the second tithe, some people say, I'm going to see if I have enough money. The circumstances are favorable to pay my tithe to the living God. If you do that, brethren, that's not living faith. You make a decision to obey your God, and then he will take care of the rest and will bless us for it. God says about the second tithe, you without failure, that's the best. He says here, really, I don't like that translation very much. Without failure, you will keep your second tithe or you learn to fear the Lord your God every day of your life. If we don't do it, and we're looking at circumstances to see if they are favorable to pay our tithes to our God. First tithe to him and second tithe as a commandment without failure. If we see, okay, I'm going to see if I have enough money to pay my first and second tithe, we're looking first at our circumstances. That's not living faith. Living faith, you obey your God. And you believe His promises. I will open the gates of heaven for you. Those are His promises. A man told me once, I'm waiting for God to bless me so I can tithe correctly. I told him, God is waiting for you to tithe correctly so He can bless you. (laughs) Do you think God is going to bless a disobedient son or daughter? You would not do it, would you, who are parents? We tied God's hands many times, brethren. And I saw it, and I cannot say I have already achieved it. I have much to learn. But I saw the leaders of the Church of God looking at circumstances where they were favorable for them to make a stand for their God They put visible things above the invisible one. That doesn't work. And God is going to put us to another test because he doesn't want anybody to get lost. And faith takes work to be developed. Faith is one fruit. In the New King James, it's called faithfulness among the list of the fruits of the Spirit If you look at the old King James It's called faith It's one of the fruits fruits of the spirit And God is giving us time Because one fruit Does not grow overnight For you to have a harvest And have a ripe fruit on a tree It doesn't ripen overnight It takes time It takes fasting It takes prayer It takes diligence. It takes Bible study. It takes meditation. It takes putting to work God's word every day and not put our money before God nor our lack of confidence. First, if we have a little faith, we obey Him and we let Him take care of the rest. And He will. He will give a way out. And we need to learn that, brethren. There are too much of that around. But once we decide to obey God, I called Peru the day before yesterday. I want to see how they were doing, our brethren in Peru. There are some in Lima by sea level, and others are in the highest city on earth, 14,350 feet high. You don't believe what these people are, are able to do. One of them in the highest city on earth, they're one of the brothers that have cons- continual problems, marriage problems, over and over. And the minister, who is not being fully acknowledged by us yet, but has a tremendous attitude of meekness, and he's teachable and loving. He told him, you want to solve your problem, let's go to this shepherd's home, out in the country at 14,000 feet high, where it co- it's cold. And it freezes every night. And they fasted for five days in a row. Five days. No food, no drink. At that altitude, the minister accompanied the one in need. See, so you have to overcome the problem you have. One of those was jealousy. Or you have to seek God. Or fasted for five days. And they were heading for seven. And the man who had the problem said... I cannot take it anymore, my dear pastor. I think my problem is solved. (laughs) Guess what? They are living happily now. That's living faith. There were frictions between Cerro de Pasco, in the high mountains, and Lima. Every, Every time they got together, even for the feast, there were frictions. I was very worried about that. They decided to fast every first Sabbath of the month. Those in Lima and those in Cerro de Pasco, so they have, so they will have peace among themselves. Now they have harmony, they have peace. I just came from the feast; they were all together. There was harmony and peace. God heard those prayers. And in Lima, Peru, we have a young man that started to attend because he was interested in one of the girls in Lima. His name is Rafael, and he. He's studying biology. He wants to become a biologist. And he had been attending rather regularly for almost two years. And then he came to me last time I was there. Mr. Mario, will you baptize me? So, said, my friend, you still go to school on the Sabbath. You take classes on the Sabbath. You're still doing academic work during the holy time of God. I cannot baptize you when you are transgressing God's law. He says, you know, Mr. Mario, my father has his eyes set on me and he's made a lot of sacrifices. If I miss those classes, my career is going to last my study about two or three more years. I told him, my friend, you have to make a choice. Whom are you going to please? Your father down here, or your father in heaven. He made his mind. He started. It's one of the last semesters of his career in the month of July. And the chemistry class was on the Sabbath. Imagine chemistry for a biologist is pretty much an essential assignment. He studied it on his own during the week. He did not go to one Single class during the semester. That's from July 2009 to December 2009. He said, Whatever it takes, I'm going to obey God. He went to check his grades when the finals were over, and he had a passing grade in chemistry. He said to me, Don't ask me how that happened, I don't know. <laughs> he had a passing grade in chemistry. Now, he went to the next semester, who is in the middle of it right now, and they put three classes on the Sabbath. He talked to the teachers and said, I cannot attend. You know, Sabbath is the same word in Spanish, so there's no confusion about it. Sabado came from the Hebrew directly, thanks to the Jews in Spain. <laughs> it came directly, and so there is, Sabado is Sabbath, directly from the Hebrew. He spoke to the teacher and said, I, I, I cannot go to... Three classes. And they said, sorry. That's the way it is. He will not go. He made up his mind to obey God and take, let him take care of the circumstances. They changed those classes for the week because almost nobody attended them. <laughs> That's living faith. As soon as I get to Peru, I'm going to baptize him. <laughs> he has the fruits now. All of them. To be baptized. I can tell you more stories about that. You met uh, Armando's wife, the beautiful uh, Juliana, Juliana. That was another beautiful story. But I don't want to spend much time of it. Let's, let's continue here. But that's what living faith is. You look at your God because he's real to you. And then he will take care of the rest. There are many leaders of the church that have yet to learn that lesson, brethren. I was there at headquarters. I know it. But God will take care of them. His love. But remember, we'll talk more about this as we go. Let's continue here. Chapter 1 and first, verse 8 of the book of Daniel. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. If he had looked at the circumstances I already described to you, everybody trembled before this man. His power, his temper, you are going to see his temper in chapter 2, and his cruelty. Daniel knew who was above him. That was his God, his real God. And you go to that book, in chapter 9, Daniel is fasting. In chapter 10, all indications are that he was fasting. He practiced those things. That's why his God was real to him. And probably became more real when the prophecies of Jeremiah were fulfilling he was taken captive and then he was close to God. I hope we don't have to wait for those things to force us to be diligent in cultivating faith so that it grows and matures like a fruit. That's where the foolish virgins will be taken unawares because faith is a fruit that doesn't grow overnight. It takes time, it takes diligence, it takes work. I read you one proverb here, chapter 20, verse 4, of the book of Proverbs before we continue here. So if we are lazy, brethren, we are not going to harvest faith, nor any of the fruits of God. Chapter 20, and verse 4, it says, Proverbs 20, verse 4, The sluggard will not plow because of winter. Therefore, he will beg during the harvest and have nothing. So if we're, not, if we're not planting and taking care of that seed and watering it, taking care of it, getting the weeds out of it, what are we going to harvest? If we're not busy and we take seriously, we have to fast regularly. Remember, it's very simple. But many people here and don't do it. I say many. I hope not Here. What was the reason why our former, former association had such a terrible tragedy, a debacle? Christ gave it very simple. If you hear what I say, you don't do it. You're building upon the sand. And the storm will come, will be gone, whatever you build. If you build upon the rock, it will stand because you put to work what I told you. Well here God is giving us the formula to have faith living faith so he comes real to us is fasting is prayer is bible studies meditation and put it to work what we learned we should be studying that book like david with all his heart show me teach me your law know that so we can impress others both because we have that desire to know what my god wants me to do I want to please my God. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we show our love to God. All the opposite of what the world teaches. They think the law is an oppression. The law is the way we express our love to God when we obey. Christ said it three times. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he said there is no greater love than to shed his blood for those that you love. So that we show a gratitude to him is to obey his commandments. And then we correspond to his love of giving his life for us, for our transgressions, to his law. So there's much to be said about this, brethren. Let's read chapter 1, verse 8 of the book of Daniel once again. Remember the order. First, living faith is God is so real, I'm going to obey him above all. Remember Peter, he was walking on the water. As soon as he took his eyes off Christ and saw the surrounding circumstances were not favorable, then he started sinking. That will happen to us, too. It happened to many leaders I knew personally. They saw the circumstances were not favorable to preserve the standards of living. That was more real to them than the living God. And I tell you, I have not finished learning my lessons either, so I cannot brag about anything, because he that stands, let him watch, unless he falls. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the. You, you know, first he decides and then he requests. Keep that in mind, brethren. Don't ask around to see, can I obey God? No. First, we make a decision, and God will take care of the rest. That's living faith. So he made the decision first, and then he talked to the captain of the eunuchs. That's the order of priority. If we twist it around, we fail, we sink, like Peter. We look at the wind and the waves, then he sank, he might not defile himself. Now, look at this. God immediately opened the door for him. Now, when were asking about the Sabbath, remember, we don't have to be, you know, like some people are harsh. Or we have to show politeness. That doesn't change that we have a profound attitude. And Daniel is a tremendous example of that. When they were going to kill off the wise man of Babylon, he spoke. Kindly and gently to the man in charge of that. I mean, that's wisdom that we learn from here too. Now listen, what did God do once he made his decision in the most difficult place on the whole face of the earth at that moment? It couldn't be a more difficult place than the one Daniel was in, in the house of Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't need to repeat, I already told you how fear that man was. And look at the answer of of this captain. He says, now God brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. He did things in the right order and God took care of this one. It was God. He says God. He didn't try to win his sympathy by himself. It was God who gave him favor in the eyes of the man in charge. After he had done what was right in God's eyes, in his own heart. Now God brought Daniel. You see, every word is important here. Daniel, in the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, I already told you about it, who has appointed your food and drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are with Are your age, then you would endanger my head before the king. Just because they were looking worse, he would cut off his head. You see, what type of risk Daniel was taking. It didn't mean much to him. It meant to him to obey his God, his living God, the one who made Nebuchadnezzar of the dust of the earth. That's what was his approach. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, your counten- let our countenances be examined before you and the countenances of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he was doing an act of faith here too. He knew God was was going to back them up. He already have opened a way for them to talk to this man, give him favor in his eyes. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men, who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. That's another miracle right there. Well, I don't know. It was a miracle. Probably it was. But Daniel was convinced God was going to back them up. He already opened a way out. And remember, your own life, eternal, might depend on that conviction. Let's read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And you know that, brethren. God will not always give us the same way out but he promises to give us a way out whatever it is to endure until death with calm and serenity and conviction might be one of them that will happen to some of God's children as we will see chapter 10 and verse 13 of the book of First Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter ten, and verse thirteen: No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to men. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That's a promise. And if we believe he is God, it's real to us, we believe that promise, and we'll make our decisions based on what he says, not on the surrounding circumstances. Which I've given you plenty of examples. Anyway, let's look here another example of faith here in chapter 2. Of the book of Daniel. Verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams, so they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, "I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream." Remember, he said to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, "O king, live forever! Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the." interpretation but the king answered and said to the chaldeans my decision is firm you know there's another translation about this by the way you look the old king james it says i forgot the dream and really that's what happened and god allowed it to prove his power nobody could who in the world can tell you i'm going to tell you what you dreamed last night and what it means god put it the only thing was left with Nebuchadnezzar was a profound impact. He was troubled, but he forgot what was it. That's the real meaning of this. You read Joseph who says the same thing. And when you read the whole context, God allowed him to forget what he dreamed. And he was only under the impact of the dream. And he's asking these men to tell him what he dreamed and what he meant. That's quite a, Request to make, my dear friends. So let's look at this. But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. That means, in other translation, I forgot what I dreamed. If you do not make known the dream to me, which is clear here when he says that, and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. There you go. What type of man he was. And you know, the captain there, Daniel told him, I'm endangering my head. He sees your faces are not well nourished and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again, and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give his interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm, and actually the translation would be, you see that I forgot what I dreamed. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me, till the time has changed. Therefore, tell the dream, and I shall know that you can give its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, "There, There is not a man on earth that can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such thing as any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requires. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. You know, God wanted them to reach that conclusion. Only God could do it. And this is working for his purpose. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. I told you, he had a temper. On top of being cruel and being able to do whatever he decided to do. And gave a command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, listen to this, with counsel and wisdom. Daniel answered Ariok, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariok, the king's captain, why is this decree from the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked, listen to this one. There is another lesson of faith right here. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. What's the definition of faith? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And you see living faith at work right here. That's another example of faith here. Like I told you, this book is just amazing. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Daniel knew his God was going to back them up. He didn't know the interpretation nor the dream yet. But he went to the king and told him, give me time. So he was having living faith and practicing what he says here. He is the substance of things hoped for. He was hoping God will give them the dream and the interpretation. The evidence of things not seen. There is faith at work. you imagine the courage to go to this king? You will make fun of Nebuchadnezzar and tell him, give us time, and I will give you. I will tell you what you dreamed and what is the interpretation. Then what did he do? Here it is. I lost my part here. Okay. What verse is that? 17. Thank you. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. You know, Daniel knew God had a purpose for them being in the king's palace. He knew it, and he knew that purpose had not yet been fulfilled in its entirety. And he trusted that God will give them the answer. And he said to the king, "I will give it before God had given it to them, which is the definition of faith, the evidence of things not seen." Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in night in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, "Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His." And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who, are un- who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness. And light dwells with him. He knew he was the one who put kings and put them out also. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ario quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen? And his interpretation? So you don't make fun of me, young man. Can you do it? Daniel answered. In the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. He has made known. To King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be in the latter days? You dream, and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. That's an amazing thing. An act of faith. Living faith. The absolute evidence of things not seen. This is the faith God expects from us, my dear brethren, as we advance and approach the next big test we're going to pass, God willing, if we are consistent with God's word and his exhortation. I can tell you one thing. I know there's a big test coming up on us. There may be more than one. But this one that is described right in this book. We're part of the living church of God. who are using the doors that God has put before us. We are on the front line. We are known more than we think. Mr. Adrian Hilton made that statement. There are leaders in Europe that read our literature. And I guarantee to you that the Vatican they read our literature and they know who we are. I just just happened two weeks ago or three weeks ago on the day of Easter that we pass in our new radio station in Mexico City, the resurrection was not on Sunday. (laughs) Right on the day of Easter celebration. Our program comes at 11 a.m. And the previous program was given by one of those pastors started saying to the audience that God counted days starting at 6 a.m. in the morning. And that's why you could count three days and three nights, and right after him there comes (laughs) El Mundo de Mañana. Just pass them like in a tray. What Mr. Armstrong gave to us, you cannot refute it, brethren. It's so powerful, and God help me to present in very plain terms what a day, what a night is, proven verse after verse. That cost us being kicked out of Tijuana. And here I am in trouble again. I tell you. Dr. Mary smiles. We told me, Mario, you have to be simple as a dove and wise as a serpent. But how can you let that day go and not tell people? <laughs> what is the sign of the Messiah? The true Messiah. I couldn't help it. <laughs> because when I went to that station, God allowed. He was the one who allowed things to be closed. as written right here. He allows Tijuana to close, and guess what? He opened Mexico City, the biggest city in the world. 24 million potential audience. And the first thing I said to that man there, the manager of the station, was, we just kicked out of Tijuana. Are you going to kick us out of here? Our material is very controversial. And I said to him, I'm going to leave you some booklets. You check them. I come back in one month and we talk again. I left him, uh, you know, what is the Sabbath? The Christian Sabbath. uh, What is the true gospel? Which is, I tell you, blow away all those preachers. You're so so strong. I don't know if you have read it recently. I left him uh, some of the most strong, some of the strongest stuff we have. One month later I came I said, Mr. Romero, did you read the material? He said, yes, sir. So, the door is closed he said God didn't put me here to close doors you know Tijuana is just a village grown too quickly this is a cosmopolitan city but I tell you we went out of the air for four years now we are back on the air now in the station that he manages and the man who heard our explanation of the three days and three nights called the government of the city of Mexico and said that were some people telling lies on the radio. And they came to check on us. And our host, who is a very bright individual, he's a civil engineer, he received them with a big smile, and told them, no, my friends, you know, we, we're just basing our our explanation straight in the Bible. And why don't you read this article here? And he gave them copies of the <laughs> article. And they were all happy about it. And the other pastor, a Pentecostal pastor, was upset, and he said... Why are you preaching those things? He said, he said my friend, you should sure study before you go on the air. You cannot prove your thesis. Where in the Bible does it say that God counts days from 6 a.m. in the morning? Oh, so far, so good, my friends. We are known. And let's read chapter 3 here. If I wish I had some more time. <laughs> Mr. Our beloved pastor took too much time making a little bit of fun of me, so. <laughs> Boy, I, I have to finish on time, but I tell you, this is here for a purpose. Chapter three. It says, the book of Nestor, the king made an, imi- an image of gold. You know, Daniel have told him, you are the head of gold. Oh, he didn't have enough with the head. He made the whole thing of gold. That was him, you know. And this coming back. In our days. Sometimes God allows prophecies of the false prophets to be fulfilled to test us. According to those prophecies, there is only one pope to come. It might be fulfilled. And I'm not going to put all my faith on it. Those are false prophets. But God allows it to test us. It's right there in Deuteronomy 13. If you want to study it, but I don't want to go into that now. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose weight was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. It's interesting that the next image coming is going to have three sixes. There are two already here. Maybe it's not a coincidence because the first Babylon was the one of Nimrod, the second one, the one of Nebuchadnezzar, and the last one is going to be the last restoration of the Roman Empire. God calls it Babylon the Great. He set it upon the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and the king Nebuchadnezzar sent forth to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And you know, this became a tradition. The Caesars of Rome did the same thing. They have their images and they have to burn incense to the images of Caesar all over the Roman Empire. And even Alexander was worshipped too. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors I don't I won't read the whole the whole list. Verse four, then the herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded of peoples, nations, and languages. You go to chapter seventeen of the book of Revelation and people are called nations, language all the peoples upon whom the great war sits. So this is the same language for our days. I won't go there, but you know where that is in chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, speaking of the last restoration of Rome. That at the time you hear the sound of the horn, he mentions all these instruments, and he says, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. So everybody went out. You know, most of the religions today, I won't say most of them, but a big part, they already have a different day of worship. And it's prophesied in chapter 7 of this book that the beast will change times, the false prophet, you know, and laws. Times is the Sabbath. The feasts of God and the law about the day of rest. You know. And they would alter the law of God. And then they all fell down towards the end of chapter 7, verse 7, and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That would be any problem for them to worship one more image. They already worshipped quite a few. So, no problem. Therefore, at the time I've been in a Catholic country, and when they speak of a miracle somewhere in a little town that the virgin has appeared, people flock like in an almost indescribable, uh, it's hard to describe, the, the fanaticism of people. You just wait until this happens and someone starts bringing fire down from heaven in, in Rome. And I tell you, my friends, if he points to us, because they know us as the worst plague in the world, they will come after us first because we're on the front line. They know who we are, and we will be even more known as this work grows and grows in power. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. Those, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever. Who are the Jews today? Those that have a circumcised heart, who obey God's laws written in their hearts. So here we're speaking of a very much a parallel test to the one, some of us will be put soon, my friends. So he said, "You king have made a decree. A decree. It is coming. It's called the mark of the beast. You see in chapter 13, verse 13 of the book of Revelation. Those that do not worship, they will be put to death. Here the same thing, speaking, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound and then makes all this num- number of instruments shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O oh, king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods nor worship the gold image. Thus, two laws of God there. You have no other gods before me, You shall not make yourself an image. You shall not bow before it. We should know the whole thing by heart, by the way. If we are real Jews, we should know them by heart. Because they are written right here. So that's why we will not be deceived. When a miracle happens and it does not back up God's word, God's law, we know it's not from God. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, here is the temper of this man, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, It is true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. The same test is coming upon us. They will want to force us to worship other gods, break first commandment, and worship probably an image, break second commandment, and work on the Sabbath, break the fourth commandment. It's coming. This is no joke, brethren. That's what we have to have. We need to have living faith where that's come. Maybe not all of us will be exposed to it, but there is a test coming before for those that will be protected. And I will show it to you in a moment. You have three more minutes with the permission of the boss. Four minutes, and I will be finished. Thank you. Now, if you are ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, and, it mentions all the, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they were respectful. At least they're saying, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you have to respect all authority. Remember, Christ said to Pilate, you would not have authority over me if it not had been given to you from, from above. So we ought to respect authority, but we ought to respect God's authority more than any other when you have to choose between obeying one or the other. And that should be so clear in our heads. And it says here, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need. To answer you in this matter. What does that mean? Our decision is made. Once again, that's living faith. There's a furnace waiting for them. And they are not looking if the circumstances are favourable or not. They are looking at their God, who is the real, who is really real for them. We have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we have made our decision. That's the same type of faith we saw in chapter 1. That's what we should learn to do, brethren, in every aspect of God's law, in his obedience. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from, from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That means who was the real one for them. We have been leaders that, that didn't have this type of faith, brethren. But if not, let it be known to you. If not, still the decision is the same. If he doesn't deliver us from the furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spoke and mandated that they hit the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. You see, circumstances were not favorable, brethren, but they made a decision. Their, their God was more real to them than this man. Now, just to tell you, we will not go to the place of safety without one final test. Before being there. And it's written right there in your book. I read to you quickly. And we'll conclude with this. Because our faith will be put to the test. Before God considers us. Worthy to be protected. There is a promise of protection. We believe in it. But let's look at this quickly here. In chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. And it says here. In verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. It says. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Now, look at this. He was cast to the earth. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, look at verse 13, brethren, for us here. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast out to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Remember, we're spiritual Israel. We're the Israel of God. Many of you are descendants directly from Abraham, and some of us have been put there in that tree. So with the same nation. He persecuted the woman who, have, who gave birth to the male child. What do you say there? You know... When the government of California invaded the campus of the Church of, of the Ambassador College, Ms. Tramson had reasons to believe that this battle had already happened. But then as things turned around and God blessed the work and continue to prosper, Ms. Trampson realized it was not. But there were good reasons to believe because once that battle takes place, the first thing we are going to see down here is a persecution against the church of God. And guess what? The church that is in the front lines. The church that is being known for preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. It will come upon us first. We are already known, even if we are little. And proof of that was what happened to our brethren in Milwaukee and when the dragon saw, verse 13, that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that he might, she might fly into the wilderness. The chronological order is very clear. Before we are taken to the place of safety, we will be persecuted. That's our opportunity to show God we have living faith if we don't have it we have to stay for the next trial brethren so let's heed the warning of our God and be diligent in seeking him so we grow in real living faith